looking lush. <laughs> Kinda. You can't really see, but the snake plant is dying. What? You can't. I don't. <laughs> okay, hold on. Hold on. The snake plant is dying. It's dying. I don't know what I did. Maybe I overwatered. Those motherfuckers are indestructible. I have like forgotten about them. I've flooded them. I have like dropped books on them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking it's like by the air conditioning vent. Maybe it's too cold. I'm thinking it's the curse of Shangela. She's yeah, like, I think- you put other plants here. I can't kill the plastic one with my powers. I'm going to kill yeah. the snake vine. Shangela is at work, for sure. For she sure. Is- Do you want me to message her real fast or just wait? Yeah, yeah, just go. Let her- no, no, go. I'll drink okay. my coffee up. Oh, oh no. I what? just I just tried to call her. <laughs> You're hilarious. <laughs> Why do I do that? Oh, she saw it. No, she didn't. She didn't see it. But now it's on there. So now I, she saw it. Okay. Oh my. Me, I have to text. <laughs> the panic that courses through my body. I hate it so much. And I do it like, I don't know. Where is the call button? And she just gave me a thumbs up. I said, hey, didn't mean to call you. Um, I, I can't believe I called her. I can believe it because I, I do that all the time. Believe- you do it a surprising <laughs> amount. You need to sort I don't know out. why. Not that I care. I find it hilarious, but I can every time you do it, I don't know if I'm just projecting my feelings onto you. But I can just picture <laughs> you like jumping behind the couch and throwing your phone. <laughs> <laughs> every time I'm like, ah! and I'm like, my brain stops working. Like she's like, just let it go. <laughs> but that's so true. I don't know. My brain freezes up as well because I also don't know how I do it to this day because I panic so hard when I accidentally call yes. that I just, yeah. I freeze up. I try to turn the phone off the side. It doesn't work. Never works. <laughs> Never. Luckily, mostly it's always to the group chat. And I know yeah. you, none of you guys are going to answer that phone call. So. <laughs> paramite, <laughs> paramite. She'd live yeah, for it. She might. She would be the one. I'm like, what are you doing? Uh, but yeah, okay, here, I'll intro our show, since now we're officially going to start at five, so we're good to go. So Sounds we have good. a countdown, you and I, so we're good. We, it's actually it's perfect. good. I love that journey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, welcome everybody to Of the Publishing Persuasion. I am Angela Montoya, author of Sinner's Isle that comes out this year, or whatever the year this is, 2023, on Halloween, and I am here with the happiest bitch in town. She is full of sunshine and buttercups and rainbows. Um, that is the Melanie Schubert. Melanie, how are you today? Wow, I I am not deserving of that intro. <laughs> I, my earrings are smiley, but I my soul is black sometimes. <laughs> no, I'm good, actually. Like, if you rang me a few days ago, I was having the most emo days, honestly. I did just finish my period. The hormones were strong. <laughs> the podcast just gets it all, right? I'm just, like, straight in there. Yeah. But no, Um. Oh, yesterday I went, like, down the coast, up the coast. Anyway, just to the most beautiful, beautiful part of the sea. And because my acupuncturist has moved there and it's like a good hour drive, but she's been such an important part of my mental health journey. Like, like Phil and I both agreed that, you know, once every couple months, I'll still keep an appointment with her and just drive up there and we'll just have a day trip of it. So it's wound up being really nice where initially I was like, oh no, she's moving. I hate that. But no, I like, I love the trip up there and the sea is just so it really refreshed my soul. She really hit all the points I needed on my body with the acupuncture needles. And so I'm just feeling so, so like refreshed and just, just at peace today. Oh, good. That. I want to today. Try, I think I want to try acupuncture. Yeah. For today, for this minute. Feeling I think good. you'd love it. Seriously. Like yeah. I didn't grow up with that kind of, it wasn't something my parents did or anything, but I just felt really drawn to it when my nervous system was just like malfunctioning like a bitch and kind of 
Western med had let me down. Like, I don't know if I ever told you this, but like the first doctor I tried to talk to about anxiety turned around and said to me, and I was like this young 19 year old, fragile, anxious thing. And I was like the first time I was talking to someone about it. And she's just like, you are young, you are beautiful. What have you to be anxious about? And I was just like, I don't know what accent I'm doing. I'm sorry to all accents everywhere. She had a really thick accent. I can't remember what it was. And I was just like, so I never talked about it again for like ages. Like, Mm. (laughs) no, but I think you'd really love it. Like it, it gave me a lot of relief um, early on when I didn't know what was wrong in my body. And it just, the, I mean, I felt like Chinese med has existed for so much longer than Western med anyway. That's kind of what drew me to it after that negative interaction with that doctor. Um, yeah, I saw Eastern med and it's been fucking incredible and I love it. And I love that. Well, it does, it feels like, and I don't know what your first doctor was like, but it feels like a lot of the older generation mm. still has a hard time with like, accepting that people have anxiety that Mm. that there is a thing depression and you can't just work it off you know like Mm. a lot of a lot of the older gen especially like in the hispanic community it's not a how can you be depressed when you know Mm. you're you have all these things or i can fix your depression by going outside and working you know (laughs) like oh um, yeah staying busy We'll fix that, you know, is is a lot of like the mantra that we hear so often, like from our own parents. And so, um, but yeah, so I think there's a lot to just accept that it's a real thing. I mean, it is something yeah. that you, you know, live with and have to learn how to navigate. And so good on you. And that's why I love having this podcast and talking um, yeah. all about it because I think everybody needs to hear it and just be like, oh, okay, I'm not the only one. So Mm, it's one of the reasons I'm, and you always make that space for me to, I think like I forget we're recording and I'm just talking to my good friend, you know? And I think that's why it immediately, whatever was on my mind comes out, but I'm kind of, I'm, I've always tried to be really transparent about it because of the barriers and the brick walls that I came up against when I finally started to look for help. So mm. it's just that thing of like wanting and and it has been really beautiful. I have had people reach out to me and be like, thanks so much for being so open about it. You've made me more comfortable to like explore my own mental health or talk to a therapist or whatever. Because, yeah, uh, it's the same Croatian culture or just in the older culture in general, you know, had that yeah. kind of thing. But yeah, it's I it's funny because I feel like getting this apartment like there was this when you sometimes get something really big that you were trying so hard to get and it actually happens, I think I actually am really good at dealing with the stressful part ironically, but it's actually been the last couple of weeks I had this kind of letdown of just like oh, yeah just this real freaking emo fog that I just but yeah I think because I've been doing therapy I was like it's just just be nice to yourself just hang in there and then yeah I feel like that's I'm finally like nowhere here it's like actually happened and I'm being able to savor it a little bit you know what I mean but it's hard yeah Yeah, that like the come down from the like what is that you know excitement or anxiety and or or all of those things adrenaline like that come down is so hard I think that's probably the hardest is the crash after I reckon you guys were like in probably like you guys were in major like not panic mode but you had a lot we were we were yeah yeah so but yeah so now I'm glad I'm glad you're taking that time and and going out and getting some acupuncture sounds like you know the right thing to be doing it does how are you, my darling friend? I'm I'm good. There's just there's been so much like good, and then also you know really bad and sad in the personal life. Um, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, you know, it's one of those things. Like, it's just part of life. We lost a dear family member, um, and then you know all of this stuff is happening in my like professional life as an mm-hmm. author, 
coming into like the final stretch. So there's like so much really, really exciting stuff happening. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and all at the same time as like really, really sad. So I'm in the, I'm in a, a state of like up and down constantly. Um, mm -hmm. but, and as far as like writing goes and book stuff goes, like some really exciting emails came in and, um, we have a, we're like narrowing down on our audiobook narrator, which is going to be really fun. And yeah. And, you know, I, I got an email, an invitation to go somewhere and it involves a plane. And I have not been on a plane in 17 years, Melanie. I thought you were going to say seven and I was shocked. 17 so, but it's easy for the time to slip away like I say that is. but I haven't been in ages either yeah so yeah. I don't even know how to plane I don't know how to get on I don't know what to do and now on my like uh, reels or tiktok feed it's all like terrible situations in planes like in flights where people like fight uh. or like get can't you know so I'm like oh no um but I will face my fears and get mm. on the plane because it's going to be something really fun. I can't announce it yet. Obviously I'll tell you later, Yeah, but, um, but yeah, I'm going to be going on a plane. <laughs> so I am living for this for you. And like, <laughs> you know what? I, I read your book. I knew this was going to happen, but watching it unfold is just glorious. Like I think there will only be more planes for Sinner's Isle and the Angela Montoya. That's not the, I am like, I'm reeling with joy and shock. That's not what I thought you were going to say because I was going to do Sinner's Isle Corner in a moment and bring up what you shared today on Instagram, which was also damn glorious and well-deserved. Yeah. I, I don't know what's happening. I don't, I mean, I yes, I love the book, but I'm always, I'm constantly... My, I was telling my stepmom, like, I, I never believe it. And she's like, you need to work maybe on some self-confidence. Mm. <laughs> but it's just like one of those things where, you know, you're so close to the book, so you only see the flaws. And mm. so to know people are reading and loving it and that Kirkus reviews, um, you know, said it was, uh, you know, one of the 150 most anticipated books coming uh, in the fall. Um, such a huge honor. I noticed... Hannah Sawyer is on there as well. So of course um, she is that baddie. Yes. So it's just really, really fun and really exciting. Um, we're just lucky to be in this world and to know so many amazing authors, including Candace Cade, yes. who's coming on and we're going to have on the show right now. Um, how about we read her bio and get right into it? <laughs> <clears throat> So, this glorious human we're about to interview, Candace Cade, is a recovering overachiever who spends her time dreaming up stories typically involving tech, psychology, culture, and or swords. She's a certified Krav Maga assistant instructor. I don't know what that is. We'll have to ask her about it. And loves writing action-packed martial arts scenes. A third culture kid, she considers Chengdu and Austin to be her homes. When she's not exploring new countries, she enjoys hiking in national parks moving again, teaching her husband Mandarin and keeping a baby human alive. She can be bribed with boba tea, fluffy puppies and breakfast tacos. We're going to get along just fine. Yeah, I think so. Well, let's get on <laughs> Candace Kate. Yes. And we're back. Yes, we are. <laughs> we are back. Yes. Better than ever. Better than ever. I forgot to tell you, I finally saw the Barbie movie. I saw your post yeah. and how did we feel? We loved it. It was yeah. like so completely unexpected. Like I just, I think I just love being surprised by movies. Like actually, have you seen everything everywhere all at once? Yes. Oh my God. Such a good movie. I saw Second. them back to back as in the next night we watched that because I saw it had oh. popped up and I've been wanting to watch it for ages and kind of forgot about it. But I don't know how to explain it, but in a way both of those movies surprised me in the same way because they were just completely unexpected 
Like every turn they took, I wasn't predicting. Okay, I was predicting some turns, but a lot of it was just like the bagel. I was just like, (laughs) I was like, they're just going to go there. Like, and, and the rocks, the rock conversation, I just lived. Like everything was right? so, so clever and so different. And I felt the same with Barbie. And it really just hit some really deep human emotional notes as well. So, yes, glorious. every moment was like, there was with purpose. It was all done with purpose. And mm. you can tell it was a deeper meaning. It was so good. Each each movie. Yeah. I, no, you're right. They're both similar in strange ways. Yeah. So good. Both of them are so good. Mm. You're you're on a roll. You had <laughs> some great movie days. Thank, thank you. <laughs> Why do I feel so pleased? I feel like I got a gold star for my movie choice. <laughs> you do. You do. <laughs> Oh, but that speech the mom gives, oh, my days. Like, I feel like every woman everywhere was just like, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that speech. It's the truth. Alicia, uh, my daughter, was sobbing as Mm. we were watching it. And my son, Adrian, was like, I'm surprised you weren't crying, mom. And I'm like, well, that's because I'm a heartless bitch. I don't know. I was just, I was too into it. I don't know so good yeah no I didn't cry during the movie at all it was only after we got into the car and I was kind of thinking about that speech again and then I ugly cried for like a minute and then I was good (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) okay she is here okay good let's get her on baby yes I am recording yay I just have this horrible feeling one day I'll forget to hit record you have to just check for me (laughs) hello Hello. Hello. Sorry about the confusion. I my brain is about to explode, but I'm just so happy to see your face. Same. No worries. I completely understand. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We no, are. we're so happy, honestly, and excited to have you on and um and just to chit chat about. I think I see your book in the background. Mm. Is that what I'm seeing? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Very <sighs> cool. Yes. Glorious. Well, welcome on to the show. <laughs> We're so Thank pleased you. to have you on. Would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell our listeners a bit about Yeah, Candace. Absolutely. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So a little bit about me. I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, but at the age of four, my family moved to Changsha, China. And we bounced around different parts of China for a little bit, eventually ended up settling down in Chengdu, which is where um, I consider one of my mini homes. Um, And so really grew up in Chengdu from like seven or eight years old until high school. I graduated high school. Mm -hmm. So I went to a Chinese school part time and then was homeschooled part time. And then in high school, transitioned back to the U.S., which was a bit of a culture shock going from, so Chengdu is the capital of Sichuan province, and it has 13 million people. So going from that, a major city, to um, a little town in Oklahoma for college, um, had a bit of culture shock, uh, but made it through, survived, and then kind of bounced around a little bit, went to grad school in Texas, and then eventually ended up in Austin working in tech. Um, and then also got to live in Beijing and just kind of, I've lived all over basically. So when people ask the most basic question, where are you from? I'm always like, oh, I know that's the most basic question, but it's so hard to answer. Um, so just to give you a little bit of context for why it's hard to answer where I'm from. Um, on the personal note, um, I got married three years ago on the day of the COVID lockdowns. So yeah. yep, that was fun. <laughs> where? People talk about, you know, their wedding. There's always one thing they say has to go wrong during your wedding. Mine was COVID, you know, that definitely changed our plans a lot. (laughs) Really? Was it like announced and like you had to completely shift things or was it after the wedding? I kind of need, I need the dramatic details. (laughs) Yeah, no, so it was wild. So we were one of the weddings where we had enough time to see it coming but it was still like, oh no, what do we do? Because 
the news, you know, is changing every single day. And so me and my fiance were getting together and we're like, okay, so it looks like it's going to be okay. Like our friends from Seattle aren't going to make it, but like mm. everyone else is coming. And then it's like, oh, okay, we're down to 50 guests. Okay, that's like going to be a pretty small wedding. Mm. And then it's like, oh, restrictions are down to 10 people. Well, that doesn't even include like our immediate family. <laughs> so each day we were like okay like a small wedding's fine like we don't need everyone to be there like every day was just changing until we we're like oh uh this is not gonna be doable but it actually ended up working out great for us because we had always wanted a small wedding anyways mm. and we're like why are weddings such a big like event where you have to have all these traditions like the cake and the dj and the photographer and just all these things and we're like we don't really need all of these mm. and so for us it ended up working great so we just ended up eloping that day we had like 10 of our closest friends and family members just 10 and then our pastor and we went out to uh the green belt which is like a really pretty part of austin and nature and we just had a quick ceremony and we were done and then a year later we had like our big celebration so oh. it actually was really nice because we were able to like separate those two, just have like a real chill wedding day. And then our wedding celebration, like we still did all the things, mm. but we were married at that point. So it's like no pressure. <laughs> but, yes. It honestly sounds kind of nice to be it honest. Honestly, it really was. I don't know how bridesmaids deal with the stress of like this commitment, but also <laughs> the details of a wedding. I'm like, I was stressed a year later and I was already married and I was like, this is just a lot. <laughs> mm. So it worked out kind of, I had this image of like, when you said it happened on the day of lockdown, I went into very like dystopian, not dystopian, like apocalyptic novel mode. And I was like, you're there, you're at the altar and they're like, quick, we're going into lockdown now. Everybody masks on. <laughs> I don't know. It was very dramatic in my head, but this is much prettier. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it did kind of feel like that, though. Yeah. We, were, we kept moving it forward because our wedding was supposed to be a week after the lockdowns. Mm. So we kept moving it forward. And so the day they announced it, we're like, OK, it's happening today. Like we have till 5 p.m. till we have to be in our house. Like, <laughs> let's all run. Like, so it still had a little bit of some dystopian yeah. vibe, but once we got there, it was very peaceful. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, you'll be able to talk about for the rest of your life, for sure. Right, right. For sure. I'll never forget my uh, wedding anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So that was three years ago. Um, since then, we now have a one-year-old son. We don't have any fur babies, unfortunately. I'm such a big, big dog lover, but we just travel so much that it hasn't happened yet. Um, we did have chickens at one point, but alas, those got devoured by a wild animal. Oh so my gosh, <laughs> that is a real struggle. I used to have chickens and yeah, the foxes would come and just, and they'd just eat their heads and leave the corpses around the okay. yard. It was so dramatic. Like, I was like, why, why did they do that? They just murdered them all. <laughs> just like, Okay, that's the same thing that happened. We weren't sure what it was, but it was very gory like that. Yeah. Other chickens, like nothing happened to them, but they were dead. And we think it's just like they were in shock from like watching this happen. Like, I don't know. Oh. If I was a chicken, I probably would have died of shock. You know what? I, I would have been like, oh, like <laughs> just dead. Yeah, watching your whole family have their heads torn off in the chicken coop around you I guess you would just drop dead from shock <laughs> poor yeah. things I, I'm sorry for laughing but it's just I remember how gory a couple times it happened they'd get in through a hole and and the ducks is what the ducks were the goriest because the ducks were so white so the oh, scene gosh. of the crime <laughs> the, all the red and white was not okay I was not okay <laughs> thankfully I didn't discover it my husband did I was yeah. like hey did you feed the chickens today and this is actually when I was pregnant with our son and I was like really close to my due date and he was like yeah about the chickens they're dead and I was like wait all of them and he's <laughs> like yeah and I was like so upset that I kid you not minutes later I went into labor <laughs> oh my god <laughs> I am living for your stories, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> is this the best episode ever? 
you went into labor from your chicken massacre. <laughs> I did, yeah. So I don't know which came first, the chicken or the baby, but... <laughs> Dang, this is like a twisted rom-con or something in the making. I don't know. <laughs> or a horror movie. I'm not sure. <laughs> Good times. Oh. So, yeah, so we don't have any pets anymore. We just have the chickens for a very short amount of time. Uh, well, we read in your bio, and we are curious about this. It says you're a certified Krav Maga assistant instructor. Ooh, I don't know if I yeah. said that right. I apologize. But what is that? Krav Maga. So it's an Israeli martial art. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was obsessed with it. And it's funny because I got into it because of my writing. Like in my fantasy novels, I, for the life of me, could not figure out how to write any sort of fight scene. Ooh. And so I just kept leaving them all blank because I was like, I just, I don't know how to write this. And so finally, I was like, you know, I should just enroll in a martial arts class. Like, I feel like every woman should anyways learn self-defense and it'll help with my writing. So I did. And then I just loved it so much that I just got addicted to it. Mm -hmm. And random other side note, I actually got mugged once in Houston, like not a great, just normal Houston suburbs. And so, and that was when I just started training. And so that like really motivated me. I was like, okay, like, thankfully I was fine. Like me and my friend were fine, but mm -hmm. I was just like, you know what? This actually happens to people and I want to know how to defend myself. So I just yeah. was obsessed and trained for many years and absolutely loved it. Wow. wow. That's that so is cool. Yeah. <laughs> What's something that would like define that marsh? It's a martial art. Yeah, it's a martial art. I would say it's very quick and dirty. So it's not like a lot of other martial arts where, mm. I mean, technically you kind of can compete in it, but not really because the whole point of it, and this is why I wanted to train in it, is like, if you're actually in a street fight, how are you going to get away? You know, if they go for the eye gouging, the biting, the kick to the groin, like, all that is encouraged. Whereas if you're going to compete in something, most of the time that's not encouraged. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's one of the big differences is it's very like street practical, but not like competitive practical. Mm. Gotcha. Very, very neat. Well, I won't be picking any fights with you anytime no. soon. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> um, now you mentioned, you know, wanting to do this because of your writing. Did you know you always wanted to be a writer? Uh, yes and no. So my writing took a little bit of a, a, a rough start because, you know, I was being homeschooled in China. And so my mom had to teach me to learn to read and write which thankfully she's very qualified. She has a master's in education. Like if anyone was up to the task, it's her. But I was just a very stubborn child. And for some reason, I really didn't want to learn how to read and write. I think I just thought it was difficult, <laughs> I don't know. But I was not about it. And my mom tells me now, she's like, there's so many times I despaired that you would ever learn to read or write because you're just so difficult to teach. And I promised her I will never need to learn how to read and write, which, of course, today as an author, she quotes all the time. <laughs> I told you so. Um, so, yeah, I definitely initially was not a fan of reading or writing whatsoever. But then once I learned how to do it, I quickly became an avid reader and loved just writing um, journal entries, mystery novels that never got finished. And I think it wasn't really till high school um, that I had the light bulb moment. I think a lot of us authors have of, oh, this is actually a career choice that people choose. And for me, it was when I was reading Aragon and I was 16 at the time. And when I got to the end of it and realized that the author is only 15 and a half, that just blew my mind. I was like, oh, I thought, I realized this was a career, but I thought you had to be an adult to do it. I didn't realize that you could start at any point. And so at that time, I got really serious about writing and started reading craft books, publishing books, realized it was probably going to be a really long journey. So I'm glad that younger Candace anticipated that. Um, but yeah, and I started really planning and plotting my first fantasy novel and then mm -hmm. writing it. And when I sat down to write it, it just felt like 
it I don't know it just felt like magic is the only way I can describe it like mm. I just absolutely loved it and so ever since then I've just known I need to be an author like this is what I love most mm. I love that so much it's yeah. sorry go Angela <laughs> oh, no I was just gonna I am um, was that first book you wrote was that like what ultimately got you an agent or what was the process like for you to find your agent and, mm. and all of that? A long process for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. So that first novel took me about 10 years. Cause you know, I started in high school I'm writing it through college, grad school, my first job, um, learning the craft, learning, you know, rewriting and rewriting, learning all the hard lessons with that first mm. novel. Um, and then it was when I was still working at my job, but they relocated me to Beijing that I was kind of burnt out at that point. I was almost ready to start querying it, but I still felt like it wasn't quite ready, mm-hmm. but I was just so tired of it. I was like, I don't want to touch this novel. Any- like, I just need to work on something new. So when I was in Beijing, I was like, wow, I'm so inspired. Like I'm back in China after 10 years. And it kind of felt like a time warp because when I lived in China, it was like the late 90s, early 2000s, tech was just starting to take off. And so coming back 10 years later was just like this shift of, wow, there's technology everywhere now. Like people don't even use cash. Like they pay Mm. with their social media app for everything. Like everything had just changed. And it made me think like, what will the world look like a hundred years in the future? And so I got to thinking, and I'd always wanted to write something loosely inspired off my time in China and Chinese culture. Mm -hmm. And so when I was there, I shifted gears and that's when I started to write Enhanced. So Mm -hmm. Enhanced while I was there, came back to the US shortly after is when COVID hit, got married. And then at the height of COVID, and I know it sounds crazy, I do not recommend this to people, but at the height (laughs) of COVID, I started thinking about quitting my job to pursue publishing full time, because at that point I had been in my corporate job for over six years and it was a great job. Like I enjoyed it, I liked my coworkers, it was really great work, but I knew that I was just getting more and more comfortable there and I just didn't ever have time for writing. It was so slow. Um, Looking back, I'm like, how on earth did I write a first draft when I was in Beijing? Like. I mean, I was working 12, sometimes 14 hour days, like every weekend I was working, like most evenings I was working. And so it was just really hard to get writing done. Um, And I was just feeling burnt out on the writing front. And I felt like I had to make a decision, like Mm -hmm. either I needed to leave my job and take this dream of mine seriously and give it a shot, or I needed to just say, it's, you know, I'm going to work on it when I have time, but it's probably not going to happen for me. And this is a good job and I'm going to stick with it. And so I, I talked to a lot of friends and family who know me. I prayed about it. I talked to my corporate mentors, my creative mentors, talked to a lot of people like, am I crazy for even considering leaving my job during, you know, the height of COVID? Is this insanity? Um, but you know, they really believed in me and a lot of them were like, no, we've known you since you were a teenager and this has always been your dream. Mm -hmm. And we think if you don't do this, you're always going to have that. What if question at the back of your mind and worst case scenario, like you have a great relationship at your company, you could come back, like give it a shot for a year Mm -hmm. or maybe do something part-time. So you're not working such crazy hours all the time and don't have time to pursue this more seriously. So I did. So I was planning on letting my boss know, hey, six month transition plan that I'm doing this crazy thing. But I was talking to one of my mentors and he was like, well, because of COVID and all the layoffs, um, some of like some of the people in our company are actually going to be having layoffs. And if you're willing to risk it right now and potentially leave the company right now, then they might have like a severance package for you. But it's a risk. I don't know if they're laying anyone off in your department. So I was like, okay, like that's earlier than I was planning, but I'm already risking it. So I'll risk it for the biscuit. <laughs> so <laughs> I went to my VP and I was like, hey, here's my plan. You know, I'm planning on leaving and pursuing this dream of mine. And 
I don't know if you guys are having layoffs, but if you are, I'm happy to like save you a head count and I'm just leaving anyway. So let me know. And he was like, well, actually we are. And like, that would be fantastic. We could put you on the list. You save someone a job. We pay you to leave. So it ended up being amazing timing because mm. one time I finally left, I actually got paid to leave my job <laughs> and pursuit, which was amazing. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I did that. And then I pursued, yeah, I really worked on my craft for the next year very mm. seriously. Um, prior to that, <laughs> I had like maybe one or two critique partners. So I, at this time I got like half a dozen to a dozen critique partners really fine-tuned, enhanced, learned so much myself about the craft and just critiquing other people's work as well. Um, you know, tried a lot of different Twitter competitions, mentorship programs, got a lot of bites, but never landed anything. And then it was a year later, I was like, okay, Enhanced is ready. I'm going to enter the querying trenches. I've heard all the horror stories, like this is going to be a long haul. I'm really nervous. And so before I wanted to start, I really wanted to make sure my uh, pitch and my query were working. Mm -hmm. And so I was at a writing conference and signed up just last minute for a couple of like um, pitching sessions to some publishers. Um, and I was like, you know, if these are not working, I want to know, because they would give feedback on like why your pitch isn't working. So I was like, perfect. Mm -hmm. So I signed up for that. Um, but since it was my first time pitching in person, I was really nervous. And so I knew one other person from the interwebs who was like going to this thing. And I was like, Hey, any chance I can just like give you my pitch and like, see if it's working. And she was so sweet. She's like, yeah, I'll give you feedback. Um, so I gave her my pitch and she's like, this pitch is great. Like, who are you pitching to? And I told her and she was like, you need to pitch to this publisher that's here. And I was like, well, that's great. But like, I don't have a pitching appointment with them. Like mm -hmm. that's not going to happen. And she was like, well, I know him. So I'll just introduce you and then pitch to him over lunch. And I was like, can I do that? Like, is that a thing? <laughs> and she was like, just do it. And I was like, okay. So she was so nice. She introduced me and um, they had like one of those faculty lunch things that you could join in on. So joined in, saved him a seat and then awkwardly like, pitched him over lunch when like everyone at the table was like silent like waiting for my pitch no pressure like just the whole table listening as I pitch really awkward but at the end of it he was like sounds interesting like send me your manuscript and so actually from that conference had um everyone I pitched to requested my manuscript and then oh. got two deals out of that but it was this interesting situation because I had just started querying and like I didn't have an agent and most mm -hmm. of these publishers were small to midsize. And initially I was like, I want to go big five. Like that's my plan. Hadn't even considered like the small to midsize publishing space. It was really just to get that like pitching feedback. And so I was like, now I don't know what to do with this. Like, this is not something I anticipated. And so I researched, you know, did a little research on these publishers. Most of them I didn't think was really a good fit for me, except mm -hmm. the one that I had been personally introduced to. And so I reached out to some of their authors and I'm like, hey, like, what has your experience been with your publisher? And everyone just had the best things to say about them, which I feel like is a little mm -hmm. surprising. Like, usually there's someone at least who's like, oh, man, let me tell you you know, but everyone just had good things to say about them. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Um, and then they, they actually offered me a free book deal, which I was wow. really excited about. Yeah. Um, and so, and I was also pregnant at the time. And so I think that kind of sealed the deal for me because I was a little nervous um, about going into like the mom haze of like newborn life and just sort of losing some of my motivation and steam versus if I'm on deadline for three books, I was like, well, that'll force me to like get up and get back at them. So, so yeah, so I ended up, um, yeah, signing with my publisher and, and what's really cool is even though they're a small publisher shortly after signing with them, they actually got acquired by a mid to large size audio production company. Mm -hmm. And so now they're acting more and more like a mid-sized publisher, but they still have a lot of that like small, like feel to it where they're really personable and like let me give feedback on my cover design or plant Easter eggs in my titles and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So, so it's been a really good experience for me. 
but yeah, mm-hmm. it was a long journey. At the end, it was very quick, but like mm. considering I've been working towards this since I was 16, like it's definitely been a long journey. <laughs> You've been going. You've been going. But it's cool to see that there's other ways to do it. And I yeah. I think that's so fun and interesting to hear about because, you know, so often we hear get the agent, go on sub and blah, blah, blah. But you went right for, I'm just going to pitch to publisher and it freaking worked for you. You got a three book deal. I love that so much. I'm like, yes, thank you. This is great. (laughs) I was just as surprised. I was like, I'm just here to get practice pitching. (laughs) Well, you obviously did a good job. Now, (laughs) I think you did just fine. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what Enhanced is about? Yeah, so it's the first book in my debut series, which is the hybrid trilogy, which is young adult sci-fi, cyberpunk, dystopian. It's kind of a a mashup of genres. Um, And it's set in the Asian Federation in the year 2123, where Mm -hmm. everyone has these genetic enhancements, at least everyone who can afford them. And so in that world, society is divided really sharply by those who have these incredible enhancements that are sort of like superpowers, like enhanced intelligence or super strength or the ability to breathe underwater. And then you have the rest of society, which are just born naturally. They don't have any genetic enhancements and they're stuck living in the outskirts where there's really bad pollution. Um, The only jobs are training at the AI factories. Um, There's lots of pollution and danger. And so it's not ideal. Um, And so the book is about this main character, Urban, who is born naturally, but then she's adopted into this high society of the enhanced elite, but she has to hide the fact that she doesn't have any enhancements because that would be really dangerous for both her and her family. And that gets even harder as she goes off to Peking University and she's targeted by this mysterious hacker. So there's a lot of futuristic motorcycle races, AI games, um, mysterious hackers, but ultimately it's a story about a girl trying to figure out who she is and find her place in the world where Mm -hmm. really your DNA determines everything. It sounds amazing. I know you told us a little bit about the inspiration earlier on. So I want to ask you, what do you think the hardest part has been about this journey for you? Uh, um, I mean, part of it's just time, you know, I think the longer time goes by and the dimmer this dream of becoming published sometimes is. And I think for me, I didn't do a good job initially of surrounding myself with other creative authors. I think if I'd had that earlier, I probably would have been less likely to just give myself the ultimatum, be like, I'm either going this way or that way. But because I didn't have that and, you know, everyone else around me was very corporate, very not creative, very much like that's a that's kind of that's a nice little side thing. Like, don't, Mm. you know, put too much hope in that. Um, So I think that was hard was just the passing of time and not having community. Um, Yeah, I think probably that. Mm. Yeah, it is a very like you spend a lot of time alone, even if you have a big community, like writing and editing, you have to do yourself pretty much. But yeah, like having that, I don't think I would still be doing it if I didn't, hadn't have found that big community to kind of just like have that checkpoint to carry you through the times when, because yeah, the world is not exactly geared up for creative living. And like, you do have a lot of people, even if they don't say it, the look in the eyes or it's like you you know just just the different energy and it's yeah it, it makes it very hard but I'm glad it sounds like you found a good community now that give you yes. that support yes I have that now I wish I would have found that earlier I think that would have mm. encouraged me a lot that's oh. honestly really great advice too I mean for all of us is the community really does mean so much and to have somebody just to bounce ideas off of, um, that understands what you're going through. You know, it's great advice to, I mean, to listen to what's been the best part of this journey so far. I feel like that changes with each milestone. Cause at first, you know, it's like a publishing deal. No, at first it's like, I finished a manuscript. (laughs) Like let's, 
I finished a manuscript and then it's like the publishing deal and then it's seeing your name in print and seeing your book baby in print so I always feel like it's just the last thing which the last thing for me is just hearing now that my book's been out a couple months just like hearing from some of the readers and just how they related to Urban the main character and saying you know this is the first time I've read a character that I resonate so much with that feels like me and I love that because for me, I mean, growing up in China and then the U.S. and then going back to China and back to the U.S., I think I always really wrestled with like, where do I belong? Like, where do I fit in? I feel like this crazy outlier who like kind of doesn't fit in in either world, but is trying to make it um, and like which place is home and which culture is home. And I don't know. And so I wrestled with that a lot. And I think that has seeped into enhanced a lot with urban she was really wrestling with you know she's not enhanced but she lives with the enhanced she's a natural by birth but she's never lived with the naturals and so it's kind of that similar struggle struggle of being an outlier and not knowing where you belong and I've just found a lot of people actually resonate with that a lot and so that's mm. just been really cool to hear from fans and readers mm, I love that so much it's uh definitely definitely relatable I mean I didn't move around a lot but yeah I think growing up like with a big Croatian influence but then like being super Australian it's like relatable to feel like you kind of never super Croatian but you're never super Australian but then sometimes you're both and sometimes you're neither <laughs> it's just like it's definitely yes. yeah sounds both amazing and neither. both and neither that is like so, that's the struggle right there it's like mm. yeah so sometimes I feel like I'm neither yeah yeah it's pretty damn relatable I think in so many ways so mm. it sounds like your book is like anybody could relate in some way or another which I think is really mm. fun and beautiful and um I honestly really want to read it I'll probably get the audiobook because I'm having a hard time reading lately but um it's in is it in audiobook yes or it is okay good Ooh, yeah. Spotify or audible yep yes perfect Mm, same I'm also finding it hard to like actually sit with a physical book lately when your mind's all over the place audiobook just brings us <laughs> brings us the story to our ears you could just lay there with your eyes shut when your eyes are too tired <laughs> yes when you're driving or when you're on deadline and don't have time to read you know a physical book anymore yeah yeah I wish I did like I kind of miss the days when I would just cozy up with a physical book, but I'm grateful for audiobook nonetheless. <laughs> I want to ask one of our favorite questions is to ask, like, looking back, is there something you wish you could tell a younger version of yourself as she started out on this journey? Oh, that's such a good question. I feel like there's so many things I would tell younger Candace <laughs> of writing specific. I think I would just tell her to not settle for the good, but to fight mm. for the great. Because, you know, I mentioned it was just so tempting to be like, hey, I have a good job in tech. Like I make good money. I have, a, you know, coworkers that I enjoy. This is all, this is a good job, but, you know, fighting for what I felt like I'm absolutely passionate about. And this is the great. So I would say, yeah, not settling for the good, but really mm. fighting for the great. That's beautiful. Yeah, I do too. Because it's so easy to settle because we're kind of scared, and it's so yeah. easy to be scared and of the unknown. But when you don't settle, like you're opening yourself up for that greatness, and I think that's really, really powerful. It's so scary to do, but it's really powerful. It's sure. so scary. I always think though, because like, yeah, it's funny when you think about people who are brave. But like, even when you shared that story, when you were pitching at the dinner table, like, I'm sure you were like a sweaty mess on the inside. And like, looking back, people are like, oh, she's so brave. Like, she's so confident. But I find that a lot of times the people, the bravest, most confident people have the most crippling self-doubt and fear. But I always found for myself, especially being super anxious, I would realize that the only thing more scary to me than actually doing the things was not doing them. Like you said, like being afraid to like actually try for great and settling for, oh, it's okay. Like to actually give yourself permission to go for that. It's really like profound, I think, to, and, and yeah, life's too short not to, right? <laughs> 
Yeah. And it's terrifying because thinking Mm. about quitting my career and starting in a totally new field, totally uncertain, no career path, Mm. you know, all totally new. It was like, that's scary. But what's even more scary is pursuing that. And then, you know, totally failing. Like Mm. that's actually more terrifying is pursuing the dream and failing or, you know, just staying in my job and never pursuing it. Yeah. I think there's Mm. so many it's terrifying to face that fear of failure or to just settle either way, either way, there's fears. Yeah. yeah. Either way, life is scary. So just do <laughs> whatever is going to make you happy because life is scary no matter what. <laughs> Nike, just do it. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Nike. You knew, you knew. <laughs> now, do you have like a favorite quote that you live by that you can share with us? I don't think I have. That's like, I feel like that's asking like, what is your favorite book? Don't ask me. I don't know. I can't. It's such yeah. a hard question. I feel like I've had different quotes for like different seasons. Yes. Um, so I don't feel like there's like one quote that I could give you. I think though, if I were to think about what I want written on my tombstone, I know this sounds really depressing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. I am ready. <laughs> but no, but I think about that because I think that's probably the most overarching like theme quote I can think of. Um, but I really just hope it says like Candace loved well, like I want to be known as someone who loved people well, who loved my readers well, who just loved well. And so that's not really a mm. quote, <laughs> but I think that's the thing that I really try and live by is just loving well. Mm. Wow. It, this is hitting too hard because I was literally having this conversation of like in my own brain, of course, of just like, God, it's so scary to love people because what happens if something happens to them or just whatever. And I'm just like loving someone's hard. Mm. So but what you have to say, it's so true. Like, yeah, it, you know, it's beautiful. So thank you for that. And giving me chills. <laughs> like, That's so true. And it's to do love well. Yeah. And you're- going back to what you're saying about the fear thing, like loving is scary. Yeah. You know, like, it's terrifying to think, what if this person rejects me or what if this person leaves me or what if this, you know, there's a million what ifs that are terrifying, Mm. but like just having to conquer that love and just pursue it and, you know, keep fighting for that. Yeah. Mm. I love that. I always like think that one of the scariest things I ever did was give myself permission to fall in love with my husband and like actually chase that. Cause I was actually very cynical, like, oh, that's not real. Oh, it's just in books, rah, 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 to actually give myself permission. And it's still scary. It's cause yeah, you, when you love something, you put yourself at risk of losing that love, but yeah, well, we just got deep right at the end there. <laughs> we just like got right deep with like one minute on the clock, but I, I live for it. I live for it. <laughs> Two stones to deep love. We, we went there. We went there. We went hard. <laughs> it's honestly, we're less than a minute until we are cut off. But honestly, Candace, thank you for joining us and for being patient with us. Um, it's been so, so special to have you on. So thank you. Seriously. Thank you guys. I've had so much fun. Yeah. I could awesome. listen to your stories all day. <laughs>